How could you expect to arrive at a destination without knowing where it is? Many who are seeking the Lord, while sincere and generous, wander through their spiritual lives without confidence or direction. In this episode of Physically Spiritual, we will explore the traditional map of our journey to God on earth, what's sometimes called the three ages of the interior life, or the seven mansions of the interior castle. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I am captivated with discovering the truth about my body and how it relates to my relationship with God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I've discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. As we get started, let's do our housekeeping. If you want to support everything we do here at Awaken Catholic, consider joining the Awaken Nation. On the Awaken Nation, you'll get access to bonus content. I now put up a piece of bonus content at the end of every episode. So if you want to hear more of any episode, join the nation. Also, you can choose to support a show host. So when you sign up for the nation, you can select the show that you feel most connected to or want to contribute toward, and then the show host will be um, blessed with part of your contribution. So join the Awaken Nation. The best way to experience all the content we put out here at Awaken Catholic is the Awaken app. Go to theawakenapp.io or look for the Awaken app at, in the uh, iTunes store or the Apple Google Play store um, and download the app. On the app, all the content's posted there. You have access to prayers, music um, by different people who contribute here at Awaken Catholic. You also get access to discussion boards both kind of a social media kind of community that you can be a part of and also discussion boards with all the shows. On the app, you can also get access to all the premium content if you're a member of the Awaken Nation. And if another way to support what we're doing here at Awaken Catholic is to join Hollow with our partner link. Hollow is a Catholic meditation app to help you find peace and grow in your spiritual journey. It's a great aid if you're learning how to pray want uh, some support learning how to meditate. So go to hollow.app forward slash awaken to sign up. Finally, if you want to get access to anything I write, the show notes for my shows, or you want some support uh, but in my coaching practice or spiritual direction practice, applying any of the ideas we talk about here in the show, go to becominggift.com. I want to start today with a quote from St. John of the Cross in what's sometimes called his sayings of love and life. So it's a kind of a collection of, of different uh, sayings that he had uh, put together. He said, The soul that desires God to surrender himself to it entirely must surrender itself to him without keeping anything for himself. So if, if you want God to give all of himself to you, you need to give all of yourself to our Lord. And in some sense, Christ on the cross is God giving all of himself to us, right? God lays it all on the line. So anything we give back to the Lord is going to pale in comparison. So God's initiated the gift. But if we want to subjectively receive that, if I want to really get all the grace God's offering me, I need to give all of myself to him. Some people use like a spousal analogy to describe this because the spouses are giving them the whole selves, their whole lives to one another. And from that, what comes forward is life. So in our spirituality, what comes forward from it is divine life. 
both pouring into our soul, but then also pouring out from us into the world around us. So as we get get started with this episode, I want to pull up our chart that we went through on episode three of this season of Physically Spiritual. This chart goes through what's sometimes called the three ages of the spiritual life or the seven mansions of the interior castle. These are basically two different images, two different analogies for the same thing. It's our growth toward God from being completely disconnected from God and mortal sin, not having faith, all the way to the point of fulfilling Christ's command to be perfect as my Heavenly Father is perfect. One thing I want to start with is a a caveat. When we think about stages, there's always a danger to it because we might have excessive introspection, sort of like asking the question, where am I? It's not actually that uh, helpful to ask that question. I mean, regardless of where you are in the journey, two things are necessary, prayer and self-denial. Prayer and self-denial, prayer and self-denial. Prayer both in the sacraments and in in personal prayer, mental prayer, and self-denial and asceticism. So regardless of where you are in the process, what you need is the same, prayer and self-denial. And then there's also another um, danger is this prideful self-deception, right? It's hard for us to know ourselves in a vacuum. So a lot of times it's helpful to have a spiritual director or someone else to guide us, to help us to know where we're at and what we should do. So we, we, we don't want to worry about this too much for ourselves. But on the other hand, it, I think it is essential to know these stages, to have a general idea of the map, right? To become like God, we're headed somewhere. It's some, God is something in particular. It isn't just whatever we want him to be. Uh, it isn't just like we're, we're not just drawn to God like with gravity. No, we're headed somewhere in particular. So without a roadmap, how could we ever know where we're, we're headed? Without this map, do we really know our starting point? Do we know the way or do we know the destination? So we have to know where we are, where we're headed, and how to get there. And knowledge of these three ages or these seven mansions, is part of the picture of of figuring that out, of knowing the way. So knowing stages, I think, is essential to get us there. Uh, We're in deep need of spiritual maturity in the church. I think it's essential for this next season in the church's life that we have disciples that are mature. And, And part of the Second Vatican Council really emphasized the universal call to holiness, right? And this is what the church puts forth as what holiness looks like. Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross are the two greatest teachers of these ideas, and they're both called the spiritual doctors of the church. The word doctor is just from the same word in Latin as the word teacher. So teachers of the church, meaning that they are uh, sure um, sources of teaching on these matters. So when we want to ask what the spiritual life is like, you go to the, the teacher the spiritual teacher, the doctor of the church, and that's Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross. First is uh, John's idea is sort of breaking the the, the the spiritual life into three ages. And, and he talks about this in light of what's sometimes called the dark nights of the soul, right? These periods of uh, purgation that happen between the major stages. So that the first age of the spiritual life is the purgative way, the way of the beginner, It's this first age of the spiritual life. So it begins with our sincere desire to give our whole life to God, with being baptized, um, having an act of faith, believing in our Lord. And it 
In it, we progress through active prayer, starting to pray vocally, really meaning it, learning how to meditate, um, and then learning how to, to actively give our heart to the Lord, even sometimes without, without any words or symbols. During the season, we go through what's called the active night of sense. So what I mean by night, just in the image of uh, the difference between night and day, there's something present in the day that's not there in the night, namely the presence of the sun, the apparent presence of the sun, and then the light that comes along with it. Right? It's important to realize the sun never isn't there, <laughs> just you can't see the sun during the night. And so the light that the sun produces is also gone. So similarly, in, in the spiritual life, a night is when something is not there that used to be there. Um, so in this case, the active night of sentence, active because we're choosing certain things, we're doing certain things. So the, the apparent pleasures of our life, whether it be something we see, taste, smell, hear, touch. So anything that we experience an attachment to or draws us into sin, in the act of night, essence, we choose to remove those things from our life and perform different forms of asceticism, self-mortification, self-denial, in order to mortify those things in ourselves, to remove the things in the way, uh, things that cause sin or the near occasion of sin, or things in us that are attachments, that places where we're, we're drawn to what's not good for us. So we need to go through this active process of purgation along with the active prayer that's during this time, whether it be vocal prayer, meditative prayer, or a more simple form of active prayer where we focus on the Lord or are able to give our heart to the Lord. So the transition period out of the, the purgative way is then the passive night of sense. It's a, it's a dark night of the soul, but it's, it's a passive night focused on sense. And there's going to be uh, three simultaneous characteristics of this night. One is going to be fidelity to prayer. Uh, so daily fidelity to prayer for a long period of time. If, if you're not praying every day for a significant amount of time, you're probably not quite to this place yet. Um, so if you think you're there and you're not, uh, we need to contrast this idea of a night with the idea of desolation. In a few episodes in this series, we're going to be talking about uh, the discernment of spirits, one of the teachings, especially from St. Ignatius of Loyola, another um, of these spiritual teachers. And in his teaching is this idea of desolation. A desolation is this also an apparent distance of God, but it's as a result of our own sin or another imperfection in us or a need for us to grow in knowledge of who we are without the Lord. So this, um, this desolation comes about as a result of our own imperfection in one way or another. Uh, the nights are a contrast to this. The night is there because we're at a place where we're, we're capable of receiving the purification that the Lord can work in us. So the first sign would be that you're persevering in prayer over a long period of time daily, substantial prayer. Second is a perseverance in virtue, right? that you haven't fallen into grave sin, habitual sin, mortal sin, or even a lot of venial sin. And then the third would be um, that you're at this place of maturity. So through the night, the night is actually bringing you uh, to greater areas of grace and virtue. So there's going to be actual growth through the night, right? It's not that God is actually gone. God is actually closer. Uh, so an image you might think, continuing with the idea of light, is let's say um, you're in a dark place 
then all of a sudden you enter into a bright place. What happens immediately when you get into that brighter place is it's blinding. The light overwhelms your eyes. This is what happens when we're entering the night of sense, is we're actually closer to God, and our, our greater proximity to God at first is blinding. It's overwhelming. We can't take it. Uh, so it's an apparent, um, an apparent absence of God due to us now being closer to him and able to receive it. So going back to our idea of the map, we're going from point A to point B. Let's say um, that our starting point is somewhere like Boston, and where we want to end up is Calcutta in India. So there's going to be a period at the beginning of the journey where you're crossing over land, and you're probably going to need a lot of help, you know, people, a lot of food, a lot of water, following the map, maybe having some mode of land transportation. Um, it's a pretty active thing, but you're going to get to a point where you literally can't cross that body of water. Like you could dive into the ocean in California and start swimming, but there isn't a universe where you could ever swim across that ocean and not drown on your own. You need something to get you further in the journey. And this is the passive night. You're, you're at a point in your journey where the Lord's going to take you to the next phase by his grace. So it's crossing that ocean, that chasm that we can't cross by our own strength. Um, even though the earlier stages of the spiritual life are also inspired and empowered by God's grace, now th there's, there's uh, something happening in us that's more fully passive. We're just receiving the purification that's taking us closer to the Lord. So the passive night of sense dawns with the illuminative way. This is the way of the proficient. This is the second age of the spiritual life. In this phase, uh, contemplative or infused prayer becomes typical or normal. We talked about this in the three expressions of prayer. Infused means it's poured in. It's an experience of con contemplation. You're going to be, at this point, free of all habitual and grave sin. These daily habits of prayer, of communion with the Lord, fidelity is a way of life. But you still need to weed out attachments and submit more deeply to God's will in your day-to-day -day life. So it's one thing to get rid of what's bad. It's another thing to do what's good. <laughs> so so you're, you're going through a deeper purification of whatever sin there might be left, although it'll be rare, but also any imperfection, right? Just anything you do that isn't good, even if it's not sinful. And you're simultaneously more and more perfectly doing God's will. So more of a focus on the positive side. And the illuminative way... There's a lot more to it, but you pass through the next phase through the dark night of the spirit, another dark night of the soul. So this is a, a dark night, another passive purification that happens, but there's, there's a particular element to it where the passive night of sense was, by God's grace, a removal of the pleasure you got from both spiritual things and physical things in the midst of enduring fidelity. Now, the dark night of the spirit— the night of spirit is particularly the the perceived absence of the theological virtues. Say once again, perceived absence. God's grace is there, but uh, the saints that go through this experience uh, struggles in faith, hope, and love. Right? They're, they're tempted to think God doesn't even exist, even though they're living their whole life for the Lord, or that that they're there's no hope for their salvation. Like in the first episode, I talked about the curie of ours. Uh, uh, St. Uh, Jean-Marie Baptiste Vianney. And at the end of his life, his parishioners at times um, 
would have to kidnap him because he would run away from ours, trying to get away from a monastery, because he wanted to have time to prepare his soul for his death. <laughs> right, This tremendously holy man doing great works for the Lord, giving his whole life to the Lord. And at the end of his life, he had temptations to fear for his salvation. Right, This is expressions of this kind of dark night is what we're talking about. But all of this leads into the unitive way, the third age of the spiritual life. So this is the way of the perfect, right? Be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. And the unitive way is the literal uh, instantiation of this enfleshment of this in the world. So I want to start shifting now to look at the idea of the interior castle to take a deeper pass through some of this. But I want to spend my time focusing specifically on the first three mansions and a little bit on the fourth mansion. And I'll mention a little bit about mansions five, six, and seven, but I'm still in the way of the beginner. I'm assuming that a lot of the audience is probably in that place. If you're in the illuminative way, if you're in the later mansions, um, this content probably isn't too interesting to you. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to assume um, that this is where we are and this is what we need to focus on. If I'm not, um, go find a holier person to listen to. <laughs> Um, so let's talk about the interior castle some. This idea of the castle that Teresa of Avila presents in the book, The Interior Castle. Um, this idea of the castle is that each of these sections is what she calls mansions. No, mansions plural. Meaning that, that these are general stages, but there's a lot of different instantiations. And you might pass through the castle going through rooms, going, going through mansions that are completely different than what other people have passed through. So these are sort of generalizations, not um, universal. So what, what your journey through the spiritual life is going to look like might be completely different than what my journey looks like. So what we're talking about here are sort of the generalities that most people experience, although it might not resonate a lot with you because I'm talking about it from my perspective, um, even though we're, we're going to try to focus on what's more universal or what's characteristic, but just to know that there is a lot of diversity in people's subjective experience of these things. So just being in the castle is possessing the divine life, right? The life of faith, the theological virtues. This means if we do something in which we forfeit the divine life, we're not going back to the first mansions. We're actually getting out of the castle altogether. So we forfeit the divine life in us by committing a mortal sin, a grave sin, which is something that can damage or destroy our, completely destroy our relationship with God that we're doing with full knowledge and full consent to the will, full consent to the will. So, so that's mortal sin. So if we commit a mortal sin, we're going out of the, the mansions altogether. So in the first mansions, uh, Teresa talks about first water. Throughout her book, she, she has this image of water, and she talks about water coming, um, coming to the person through cisterns, right, through these different pathways that are built to connect the person to the source of water. Um, so the first mansion starts with your des earnest desire to grow in holiness, right? So there's some people who, while being baptized, possessing the divine life, they don't really have an earnest desire to grow. So they're sort of wandering in the external courtyards of the castle. <laughs> and a lot of the church, honestly, is probably there today. So entering into the mansions then is with your earnest desire to grow, to go on this journey, to get through the map. In this first water, 
is our discursive meditation. In the, the last episode on the spiritual life, we talked about the three expressions of prayer. So go back three episodes. You can get these three expressions of prayer. But meditation is basically considering God from the perspective of something he's given us. So it could be from creation. It could be from our life. It could be from the scripture. It could be from the teachings of the church or another spiritual writer. But going from something we experience with our senses and trying to find God in it. So I'm going to flip to our chart on the faculties of the soul. So any of these images I use, if you're um, just listening to the podcast, not watching, you can get any of these on the show notes on my website, becominggift.com, or any of the Awakened Catholic sources have a link to the show notes in them. So when we're, we're meditating, we're basically starting at the bottom of this chart and moving our way up. So we're starting with something that we can sense. We're literally bringing our body in contact with something that that God has been in contact with too. So anything that's true, good, and beautiful is something that reflects God on some level. So we bring ourselves in contact with something that God has given us in one way or another. And then we're literally experiencing it with our senses, and then we're thinking about it to come to either considerations, meaning ideas about it, or affections, meaning feelings and movements of our will and our heart about it. So looking at this, uh, this chart, what we're doing is we're, we're moving ourselves to experience something that God, through seeing it, hearing it, smelling it, tasting it, or touching it, you can use all of your senses in meditation. You can meditate with music, the hollow app, like somebody speaking to you. You could see nature. You could literally have a smell, like the smell of frankincense, maybe, or balsam, that reminds you of the Lord. And then, and then, you're, then you're taking your internal senses, meaning your, your estimative sense, your ability to judge, your imagination, your memory, meaning you're thinking about what you're perceiving. And by doing that, the idea is you're moving your affections. You're moving these internal attractions and repulsions toward that experience. So you're literally like reading the scripture. So you're experiencing it with your eyes. You're putting yourself in contact with the scripture. And then you're thinking about it. Let's say you do a constitution of place. So you use your imagination to imagine what you're reading. You're placing yourself in the story. And by doing that, like your brain, the primitive part of your brain isn't really good at distinguishing between what you're thinking about and what you're actually experiencing outside of you. So, so you're literally moving yourself emotionally to experience what's happening in the story. Right? You're forming your affections toward God's revelation. And with these affections, you're forming then affections. So you're moving your will and you're also coming to considerations. I mean, you're come to understanding the truth of the thing. So you're influencing your reason. So through this process of meditation, you're, you're reordering your soul according to God's design, with God's grace, um, and that's what meditation is. So this is the first water that Teresa talks about. You're doing vocal prayer in it, so you're, you're asking for God's grace, you're asking petitions, you're saying thanks to God, but then you're thinking about things, your life, the scripture, doctrine of the church, spiritual writing, to form your soul according to God's design, and then you're talking to God about it. Um, a lot of times uh, in, in old spiritual books, they call this colloquy, this conversation that you have with God in the midst of the meditation. So this is first water. 
is this process. So what's necessary in the first mansion is to make a decision, make a decision, a conversion of heart from preoccupations with the world to a life centered on the Trinity. And in some time of trying to give your heart to the Lord through this active kind of prayer and also through beginning to try to not sin is what moves you through the first mansion. So in these second mansions, the second phase, you have some growth, but you're really still bound by a lot of your worldly desires. In the second mansion, Teresa says the need is to embrace prayer. So the person is embracing prayer, but does not yet avoid the near occasion of sin. Meaning you you want to not sin, but you're still putting yourself in places where you do. Uh, I think I spend a lot of time in these second mansions still. Um, and I've been working on this for over 15 years. So like this doesn't necessarily happen real quick. John of the Cross says that it happens with the speed of your generosity. <laughs> so how generous you are in giving to the Lord is how fast you move. And I have not been as generous as I could have been. Um, so this idea of the second mansion, to embrace prayer. So you're embracing prayer. You're trying to pray every day. You're probably praying most days. You probably miss some too. But then you've not yet avoided the near occasion of sin, meaning you've overestimated your strength. You think something like, oh, I can just choose to not do it next time. Um, but you're weak. Humans are weak. So that's not the case. Teresa uses the image that you can hear, but you cannot yet speak. You can hear, but you cannot yet speak. So you have a, a vision of what the Lord's calling you to, but you're still regularly falling short of it. So she actually says that the person in these second mansions feels like they're in a worse place because you see the contrast. You see the gap between what the Lord's calling you to and the actual reality of your life, your own sin that you keep falling into over and over and over again. Right? You're still struggling with habitual sin and, and probably some grave sin. Um, so it's subjectively a very difficult and painful place to be. And the enemy is going to tempt you in that temptation, is going to use that, that struggle, that difficulty, that perception to testify against the way, to try to get you to go back into the first mansions, to stop, basically to stop praying. So, so if, if you fall into mortal sin, you're out of the mansions. If you really stop praying, you're at best going into the first mansions again. So persevering in prayer Frequenting the sacraments of, of going to communion and going to confession, especially every time you fall into any grave sin, um, and then attempting to start meditating and then removing yourself from the near occasion of sin. So the key in the second mansions is perseverance. Um, so the primary temptation to go back into the first mansion. So we need to embrace the cross, be generous, and, and willingly welcome the hardships that are going to come, right? So so whenever we sin, whenever we um overestimate our strength, we're going to experience desolations because it's not in our best interest to have the perception of God's presence because I'm going to think, oh, I'm great, <laughs> but I'm not that great yet. So I, I need to experience who I am without the Lord. So I'm going to receive desolation. So so we have to switch from, um, from uh, thinking that like it's the worst thing in the world for me not to feel good in prayer, to respond generously and to welcome the dryness and then to persevere through it onto the other side of uh, with the Lord. So we also need to surround ourselves with people who are also on the way. Remember, we're, we're weak. We're, we're dependent on other people for so much. So if, if we're surrounding ourselves with people who are not on the way, 
those people are a near occasion of sin. So we need to surround ourselves with good people, people who are going to support us in our spiritual walk. Remain faithful to prayer and grow in self-knowledge. So one of the later episodes on this kind of mystical prayer, we're going to talk about the examine prayer. It's really something that's essential to this phase of, of daily looking at our lives and realizing who we are without God's grace, coming in the habit of recognizing God's presence in our day-to-day life, and also a habit of gratitude, right, of right relationship and praise with God. So don't lose heart when you sin, because in this phase, you will sin. Um, we need to repent, receive forgiveness, uh, experience God's love, and then through that, grow in self-knowledge. So one of the absolute necessary steps in this phase is to not stop praying, to not stop praying. And that's going to be one of the number one temptations. It's something like this. Oh, I can't pray. Like I, I did X, Y, or Z last night. I'm a terrible person. Like God's going to, God's going to smite me if I pray. I can't approach the Lord because of how bad I am. No, no. Uh, probably when you're not falling into that sin, you still have all kinds of other sin. So when you're not doing whatever it is that you feel really bad about, you're probably still in a worse place than you think you are. And then when you do fall into it, the Lord wants to love on you. The Lord wants you to be present to him. So, so you have to persevere in prayer, daily prayer. That's number one in this phase. At this phase too, spiritual direction is highly recommended. A spiritual director is someone that can walk alongside you. Ideally, they're further along in the journey in a way, and that they have a knowledge of, of these ideas, then they can help you both um, forming commitments that are prudent for asceticism and for your daily prayer life, and also then being able to identify desolations versus a dark night or what's sometimes called contemplative aridity. Um, so being able to identify the different stages. So in the, the third mansion is um, what's different. Sorry, we got a, I lost track of my slides there on the side. So from the, the third mansion, uh, somebody is rarely committing venial sin if when they're in the third mansion. So, so someone in the third mansion is pretty far advanced in the spiritual life, I think, from our day-to-day perspective of people of faith. And there, it's coupled with a desire for penance and a capacity to remain in prayer for extended periods of time. So there's a common practice that people make called a holy hour. Um, so somebody who... Uh, is rarely committing sin, meaning you might go whole days without having any conscious sin happening. You're probably doing it like a daily holy hour or an extended period, like a half hour, 45 minutes of prayer every day faithfully. And this is for an extended period of time. We're talking years. That's probably somewhere in the realm of the third mansions. Um, so what happens is there's, there's a simplification of active prayer Right, so we've gone through this process of regular meditation, of forming our affections and our will and our, and our uh, mind to God. And more and more, you'll find that the prayer is simplified where you're able to form affections and considerations without having the raw material there, whether it just be from your memory and imagination or it actually be, be a, a direct willing of the mind up to God. So there's going to be an, an act of simple prayer that will start to form in the person. And there's a need in this period uh, to do penance and works of charity, to continue to persevere in prayer like the previous stages. But what, what primarily prevents growth is humility. All right, what the enemy is going to try to do when you're in this phase is make you think you've already arrived, make you uh, mistake your normal consolations 
for great contemplative graces, <laughs> make you think, um, you know, that you're really great and you're, you've done some growth, so you're pretty good, but, but the Lord wants to work such a greater work in your heart. So the, the key need is humility, 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 understanding who you are and the truth in light of God, meaning growing in the capacity to receive humiliations, right? When something happens that isn't right, isn't just, someone makes fun of you, you lose an opportunity, somebody passes over you. Uh, moving to try to form a more generous response to those things, a grateful response, because we need to to be humbled. And with it too, um, uh, pride can lurk deep in the heart. I Meaning we can do very spiritual, very good things, but that at, at the base have a selfish motivation still. So, so weeding out of, of this pride, this deep hidden spiritual pride is key for this period. I would say that at this point, if you, moving past the, the third mansion, spiritual direction is necessary. Um, I think it's very rare that somebody is able to navigate this phase of the spiritual life because of the subtler uh, temptations that are there, um, especially to pride. So spiritual direction is necessary if you haven't had one yet. Chances are you have if you've been able to get through the second mansions, but because at core of this phase is, is that distinguishing of the aridity versus the desolation, being able to recognize a dark night or passive purgation versus um, versus some dryness that you're experiencing as a result of your own faults and weakness, especially for these subtler forms of pride that need to be weeded out um, in the person. So this is the third mansion. All right, the fourth mansions. In the fourth mansion, St. Teresa talks about second water. So this second water, she describes as like uh, your cistern of water is, is now being fed by a well. So there's this water that's coming directly up out of the ground. You don't have to go through a process to get the water from A to B. God's just doing it. So this is called infused prayer or contemplative prayer. So let's pull back up the chart of the faculties of the soul. And I'm going to try to navigate uh, from the, the full screen, if we have it, so then I can see what I'm doing. All right, the faculties of the soul chart. So what's happening in contemplative prayer is the exact opposite movement of the discursive prayer is happening. So with the discursive prayer, we moved our body in contact with something that's true, good, or beautiful, and through the senses, worked on it with our internal senses to form our passions and then affect our will and reason, right? Have uh, come to the point of, of having conceptions and having affections. So the opposite is true uh, in the case of contemplative prayer. So it, it comes to us here on the far right-hand side of the chart, I have the, the, the theological virtues, which are the supernatural elevation of our human nature to become like God. So what disposes us, what gives us um, contemplative prayer is the gift of faith. It begins with the gift of faith. This was John Paul II's first doctoral dissertation with uh, Reginald Gergou Lagrange, who's the, the writer of The Three Ages of the Spiritual Life, a great um, synthesis of the teachings of John of the Cross and St. Thomas Aquinas two volume, highly recommended, but, um, but definitely a, a more advanced work. So the gift of faith disposes us to contemplative prayer. And the gift of faith is the supernatural elevation of our reason. 
So contemplative prayer begins with our reason and then flows down into our will and then flows down into our internal senses and passions. Meaning when contemplative prayer starts, at first, the passions and internal senses are not captured by it. So at first, um, some people actually consider these contemplative aridities, these positive experiences of uh, God not being there as the beginning of infused prayer, meaning it's, it's completely dark, um, but it's a positive experience of God's grace forming us. And then what begins is what's sometimes called the prayer of quiet or the prayer of recollection. These are these early forms of contemplative prayer. And what's happening in the prayer of quiet and the prayer of recollection is essentially the reason and will are affected by the contemplative grace, by the infused prayer, but the internal senses and passions still are sort of roaming free. So these are, are probably shorter periods of contemplative prayer. And in it, the person can still be prone to distractions, to imaginations, um, to different uh, movements in the body away from prayer, maybe temptations to stop praying, or the mind being too active and wondering, like, is anything happening at all? But what, what you'll find is that your, your reason, so you have a positive experience of God that's dark. So it's like you, can, like you know God, but there's no sense impression that comes along with it. And then you're able to hold on to that. So, so the will is actively engaged, but once again, without sense impression. So it's odd because it's the opposite of our normal experiences. I see something, it interacts with my internal senses, imagination, memory, whatever, and then I experience an affection toward it, and I either know it or choose it. I act on it. Uh, but the opposite's happening with this infused prayer. It's interacting with my reason and will. And by doing that, then, it then flows down, and my, my faculties of my soul are healed by this process. So the prayer of quiet is, is sort of a, a deep peace that's without understanding or without um, seeming source. So like I said, the imagination might be all over the place, but there's a certain silence, a certain quiet in the soul, a peace in the soul that's beyond um, just quiet. The prayer of recollection, it's infused and gentle, awareness of God's presence. But like I said, it hasn't moved down into the imagination, memory, and affections yet all the way. Um, so in the fourth mansion, the person needs to continue to remove obstacles to divine action. Learning to receive, because you, you might be tempted to go back to active forms of prayer. And it's not that you ever completely just do no vocal prayer and do no meditation. Because, um, you know, you're still going to be thinking about things and talking to God. But when you're receiving these contemplative forms of prayer, it's important to not get in the way. you got to open up to them. Receive what the Lord is offering. Um, spend that time receiving that water, that grace from God. Um, so in a sense, I'm kind of talking about this in the abstract. Like I'm, I'm not there yet uh, in my own life. So take it with a grain of salt. Go to Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross to get this. Also in this phase, the person's going to be working out attachments, these connections to sin, that uh, these ways that they're, they're drawn to sin, right? Their, their passions are being purified. And they're also going to work out imperfections, meaning things that they do that aren't good, but on the other hand, still aren't great enough to be actual sins. And then they might still fall into some venial sin from time to time, but not habitual or regular. So there is a purification that's happening. 
So in the fifth mansion, Teresa calls it third water. It's, uh, she typifies with what's called the prayer of union. Uh, it's a, and what, what the distinction is here is now all of the faculties of the soul are absorbed with God. So the, the imagination, the memory, the passions are all kind of brought in line now, and you're fully engrossed in the union. The sixth mansion, sometimes called fourth water, sometimes also called spiritual betrothal. It's like you're being engaged to God. Um, what happens now is the prayer isn't just affecting the faculties of the soul, but it's overflowing into the full body of the person. So a lot of times the, what the saints experience in the sixth mansion is that their, their prayer um, sort of takes over their body too. So they might experience ecstasies, raptures, spiritual transport, flight of the spirit, these different ways of explaining that when the person uh, is drawn up into contemplative prayer, their body is sort of taken out with it. Um, Teresa of Avila in her life, she would be in meetings when she was in this phase, and someone would mention God, and it would trigger a contemplative experience, and she might be in a rapture for hours. And they had to cancel the meeting and come back later because, you know, clip your fingers, tap her, she's not reacting. Right? The grace of God is overflowing from her soul into her body. Now, not everyone experiences this phase the same. Of course, they're mansions, plural. So the common example that comes in for people is uh, St. Vincent de Paul, who led a very active life. But people who study his life see that he also had a very rich contemplative prayer life. So it wasn't that St. Vincent de Paul wasn't a mystic. It's that his mystical prayer didn't manifest in the same way that, that these, other, um, these other saints' life did. So there's going to be a lot of diversity in experience here. Then finally, the seventh mansion, you know, somewhere between mansion five, six, seven, um, it's not real important to lay it all out, is where this dark night of the spirit is going to be, these deeper passive purifications. The seventh mansion is spiritual marriage. It's transforming union. Uh, it's been said that all that is left for the person is the beatific vision. By passing through the dark nights, they've literally gone through purgatory on earth. So we believe somebody at this phase in the spiritual life, if they persevere in virtue without attachment, um, that purgatory is unnecessary for them. They've already gone through that purification. They're going to experience what's called stable contemplation or transforming union. So the body of the person has literally become compatible with the infused prayer. So the infused prayer is both simultaneously more intense than in the sixth mansion. And on the other hand, doesn't take their body out. They're able to live in harmony with the infused prayer. So it's a fulfillment of the commandment to pray always in the little, literal instantiation of their life. So they can continue on uh, going about their day-to-day -day business and simultaneously uh, experiencing infused contemplation. Now, some saints even beyond this are what's sometimes called a victim soul. Like some people sometimes ask about Teresa uh, of Calcutta who experienced extended dryness at the end of her life. Um, some people could interpret this as like a failure on her part to pass through the dark night of the spirit. But my reading of it is that she actually was, was through this into the seventh mansions and then was able to bear an additional burden of suffering on behalf of the world. So she became supernaturally fecund, supernaturally fruitful, and participated in Christ's passion in a very special way uh, to bear grace into the world. And I think we see this evidently in what's happened in her life and then the, the work of her order since she died, uh, that she was a kind of a special victim soul that was able to give her life 
um, in extended uh, aridity even beyond the seventh mansion. Um, so this is the quick run-through of the map of the spiritual life. Uh, I hope this has been helpful for you. Don't spend too much time worrying about yourself, but use this as a guide to help you move through these stages. You have to know that praying always is possible. Being perfect as my Heavenly Father is perfect is possible. God's not asking us to do something. He's not giving us the grace to get to. But there's a long journey. It's, It's possible to live a life without habitual sin. It's possible to live a life without venial sin in God's grace. by the special grace of the contemplative veridities that God can work in us. If we're willing to bear the suffering of the active night and bear the suffering of of, uh, discursive prayer, of reforming our minds uh, according to the design that God gave us by disposing them through meditation uh, to his truth. Um, So this is possible, but we have to enter on the journey generously, generously, Um, trusting that the Lord wants to do this good work in us. Uh, So I hope this roadmap has been helpful. I hope you'll join me on the journey. Um, And I hope that, um, you know, that we can all be there uh, together in heaven someday. So with that, God bless everyone. This show and all media on Awakened Catholic is made possible by the Awakened Nation and the Hollow app. The Awakened Nation is a community of people like you who support all things Awaken for as cheap as a cup of coffee a week and get access to exclusive content. Learn more by visiting awakencatholic.org slash donate. Hollow is the only audio-guided Catholic prayer app focused on contemplative prayer and traditional Catholic meditation such as Lexio Divina, Daily Examine, and the Rosary. We here at Awaken all use Hollow every day and love it. To learn more or give it a try, visit hello.app slash awaken.